and Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. Well, it has been such a big week for equestrian sports. We had the pop-up British five-star Cheddington Bicton and also the Longines FER European Jumping Championships. We'll be talking about both those competitions a little later. First up today, we have an interview with Sir Lee Pearson, who won three gold medals at the Tokyo Paralympics on his homebred horse, Breezer. Tokyo Games has, has, has actually felt like a fairy tale. He gave me the best test that he's ever given me, and able-bodied and in parrot, it was phenomenal. As well as talking about Bicton and the show jumping Europeans, we'll be telling you about a new study looking at laminitis during the COVID-19 lockdowns. Finally, personal trainer Katie Bleatman gives her insight into functional training for your specific discipline. It's really important to ensure that what you're doing in the four walls of the gym or in your sessions at home then relates back to improving your quality of life or your specific sport. Here, obviously, you're riding. So, pop your foot in the stirrup, swing up into the saddle, let's get started. I'm Polly Bryan, dressage editor at Horse and Hound, and I'm joined today by a very special guest. Six-time Paralympian Sir Lee Pearson is one of the British heroes who brought home Team Gold from the Tokyo Paralympic Games a couple of weeks ago. And he also won two individual gold medals in Tokyo as well, bringing his tally of Paralympic goals to an incredible 14. Lee, hi, how are you? Hello, I'm very tired, but I'm good, and I'm here chatting to you guys, which is lovely. Oh, wonderful. Yes, you haven't been home very long, have you? You sort of still, still recovering. <laughs> and even when I've got home, kind of uh, straight onto media um, duties. So I've been all over the place doing uh, lots of television work, which is good for me, good for the sport, good for Paralympic sports. So you have to kind of strike while the iron's hot, as they say. Oh, definitely. I can imagine it has been a whirlwind, but a, a very good yeah. whirlwind. Yes, um, very. Of course, Lee, you've been to quite a few Paralympics in your time, um, but you had an absolute dream games out in Tokyo, didn't you? Gold, both the individual and freestyle yeah. tests. Team gold alongside Sophie Wells and Natasha Baker. Um, that team medal was totally unexpected, wasn't it? Totally. Um, the Tokyo Games has, has, has actually felt like a fairy tale. On saying that, it wasn't that there wasn't an unbelievable amount of hard work going on back of the scenes as such um, with all that, our support staff. It will be remembered for games we weren't expected to get gold medal, but for for the athletes, I think it'll be remembered. And we have actually said this and discussed this. It was one of the most supportive teams, and then the vet was mucking out and changing waters in the stables. Uh, the grooms were helping us get dressed and uh, undressed. Uh, physio Lucy was making sure we we're all hydrated and just. Everybody pulled together with with zero egos whatsoever. And uh, it was an honour to be part of that team because a lot of people, yeah, they, they hear the results, they see the results, see us on TV. But we've got results in the past with terrible teams, to be fair, ter- terrible support, support. But this this game, not for any particular individual reason, just it didn't, didn't work. Do you know what I mean? And mm. um, this games was brilliant for that reason brilliant for we had no expectations on us and we weren't being pushed to have expectations on us and then the results and then for me the evening which i think was yeah dinner time ish for you that team result where we didn't think we were nowhere near yeah. then we thought we were very near then we thought the duck had got it and then someone said no sophie's score's been readjusted i think we won by 0.6 yeah it uh, was so close and i mean we we all sort of thought watching from home that um that the dutch had just done it by the skin of their teeth and of course they did go in as favorites didn't they Mm -hmm. um so they were definitely expected to get the gold i mean that that moment when you guys realized you had won it britain have always won uh, dressage gold at every Paralympic Games that dressage has been a part of since Atlanta in 1996. But not the, our most recent World Equestrian but, Games. Yes, and exactly. And That's that exactly it. Yeah, the last two championships, <laughs> you have, you know, we've won silver and it yeah. has just meant such a readjustment of the sort of world order, hasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was a dream. It was surreal. It was like a fairy tale. And if you follow me, you'll see me on a mobility scooter flying up and down the stable 
tumbles with Sophie Thomas from the British Equestrian Federation sat on the back of the mobile scooter because she just wasn't going fast enough from the stable <laughs> from the uh, from the venue to the stables. Like Sophie, jump on the back. And she's like, I'll never carry both of our weights. So I was like, it will, it will. And then it gets over. You see me flying up and down with just anxiety and like, does anybody know what the final score is? Does anybody know at all what the final score is? And, oh uh, my gosh! It was crazy in the stables. I mean, I can't even imagine. It just must have been absolutely an incredible moment. As I left the venue, the Dutch Dutch, Dutch were celebrating. They did a massive cheer and was like, okay, have a great face on Lee. Congratulate them. They're great mm. friends anyway. You can't travel the world with these people over this amount of time and years of without course. becoming friends. But I was like, grit your teeth and say, well done. I'll do grit your teeth. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh and of course the the reason one of the reasons why um you guys did not actually start as as favorites was because you were all on horses who were out at their first championship young horses inexperienced horses yeah. just tell us a bit about breezer your your ride for tokyo he's a homebred isn't he yeah he's 10 years old so i've literally known him since he was was a di- within a day old hours old oh. in the field at my parents in staffordshire and um, he's Stiletta's half-brother. So ah, in course. a nutshell, the sport was heading in a very expensive direction after we converted from borrowed horse competitions, which is what we did in Sydney. We flew to Sydney, mm. pulled, pulled a number out of a hat that was matched to a horse. Then for Athens, it was changed and it stayed, stayed the same, which is slightly more parallel to the able body. You produce your own horse and, yeah. and, and, and build a relationship up with them. So I bought a broodmare 13 years ago. I started planning my future competition horses <laughs> from Simon Lawrence, who was a, a power rider. And she's by Metal, who was by Ferro. And I had, um, she was in fold to Sandro Dancer, who was a, a Grand Prix horse that uh, Steph Erdley uh, campaigned for a while. And I think it was the Lloyds Bank horse as well, or Black okay. Beauty or something like that. Um, and uh, our pop styletta, who uh, I took to the World Equestrian Games. Yes, you're a lovely mare. Yeah, that was precarious for lots of different reasons. But she's now, <laughs> I did my first into one with her the other day. Um, my first into one as well. I've produced a How few exciting. PSG horses. Yeah, I was over the moon with her. And oh. then um, I had some Brightling, a Brightling Sun that I bought as a foal, graded as a stallion. And then I sold him, but I kept some semen on ice. And then, so I put the semen to, to the broodmare, obviously, and produced Breezer's full brother called Benson. And then I produced Breezer. And then I had a few years break and produced some interesting horses for the future. But you can ask me that question in a minute if you want. <laughs> um, I will do. <laughs> yeah. And then we kind of backed the boys, started producing them. They both competed a little bit. And then we sold Benson and and uh, kept Styletta and Breezer. Styletta is now working Grand Prix. So if I can grow some now don't swear Lee if I can grow some confidence we might uh, try to get out at Grand Prix at the end of the year maybe the start of next year it'll be an awful score and it'll be awfully messy but before I ever retire I, it's everybody's dream do you know what I mean yeah. so we're just we're just cut, sorting those counter zigzags out at the moment and a bit more engagement in the in the piaf and the passage <laughs> but you never know Steph Croxford is my hero and I think if Steph can do with so many non-traditional driving horses than what am I playing at um <laughs> yeah so then I started being more serious with Breezer my previous partner had done some competitions with him and, and, and Breezer had shown his quality there I took over the ride about three years ago now I think two or three years ago mm-hmm. I was still kind of riding and I was training my partner on Breezer ex-partner and just with covid we really didn't get the opportunity to get out that much he's very naturally sen- sensitive he's obviously mm. bred, bred like a ferrari um and but he did really well in selection trials at wellington in june and then we went to Hartby and he did really well outside and then i went to do my music tests and he went something he heard something maybe the roof cracking in the heat or something and we didn't complete the music test and that was our last test before selection so a i was thinking are we going to get selected at all yeah um but his scores previously were really good and and we did get selected massive honor then the worry of trying again the horses getting to belgium or the um equine herpes issues covid mm. issues pre-quarantine and then the horses flying to tokyo there's so the kind of so much that can go wrong it is unbelievable yeah. And then got him there. He was really settled, um, and 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 then, but he'd never heard a prize given. And although we didn't have audiences, 
the atmosphere was yeah. intense out there because yeah. you've got all you've got all the other countries and all their support staff as well as our support staff and all the volunteers and uh, it's actually quite a lot of people isn't there yeah and Breezer had never heard really clapping to that degree so he was very upset he, he went in and did the championship test and we got a, a gold medal and i was like right here's a serious <laughs> contender yeah that is pretty phenomenal and then Did, was that and... a surprise for you to win yeah. that gold yeah that was as well yeah i've got this weird mentality sportsmen i think you kind of when people talk to you or advise you you kind of go in going like you're the best and we're going to win and everyone else is rubbish <laughs> and my body's the best and my horse the best and we're going to run the fastest and jump the highest and Dressage isn't like that for me anyway. Obviously, I think it's more of an art and and yeah. and, and, and publicise your relationship and your training with your horse. Um, I rarely look at the other riders in able-bodied or para because they all. I think I, I feel like the farmer's son arriving on his donkey, trying, <laughs> having having a go at dressage, and everyone else looks blooming amazing. Um, Says the man so who's just, won fourteen Paralympic gold medals. I know it's weird. It's, it is strange. It is strange. Um, but it makes me try that a little bit harder to, yeah. to be that little bit more accurate and have that little bit more expression or that little bit more softness or straightness or just to make it even more perfect. I've never sit back on my laurels and think I've got this, so I don't have to try Mm. very hard. I always think everyone else looks great. Try really hard. (laughs) Um, And then he did the prize giving after the championship. And he got quite upset. I mean, he showed how wonderful his Piaf passage was and and drag it (laughs) and how he could drag the grooms round a a medal ceremony. Um, But (laughs) He uh, was very perturbed, so I uh, played some clapping from a speaker um, in the stables, and, and he was okay. equally, equally upset. Oh, and uh, some people were going, Leo, are you sure you should be doing that? I'm like, he's got to get used to clapping, because people still clap by accident even when you're competing, do you know yeah, what I mean? Or yeah. even before the end of your test. And anyway, I kept repeating that through the evening and the next day, and the next day he was like, yeah, Dad, I'm eating me dinner and I don't care anymore about that <laughs> Oh, brilliant. <laughs> so that was really good. And um, But then I rode the team test, and he was like, no, I don't like this arena, Dad. The, these, those bogeymen with the clap are going to come out the, uh, from everywhere. And I rode him without breathing, without my heart pul- pulsing, and without hardly holding the reins. And how we how we got seventy seven percent. I was thinking, I don't know why. I don't know. I try try really hard in the future. Might as well just sit there and not do hardly anything because it was literally going to do a repetition of heartbeat. I could feel him shaking underneath me and trembling. I was like, mate, like. And the worst thing with our test is it's walk and trot, so there's no area where you can like, Phew, I'm in canter, I can kick on. I don't have yeah. a long side where I can tweak the the tests are dreadful tests of stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. Well you imagine a horse that's about to go off on one trying to say to them, stay and walk, do you know what I mean? Mm. And 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 do the best walk that you can do for your country. I got to the end of it and I was like, that was horrific to ride but he got a, a great score 77 i think it was perfect start for the team wasn't it it was it was a great score that, he, that we placed and dead proud of him for just staying with me and trusting really yeah so we went into the um, freestyle to music and um he gave me the best test that he's ever given me in able-bodied and in parrot it was phenomenal but i didn't I refused to enjoy it until my final halt and something <laughs> up. Harvey felt pretty good, and then at the end, at the very end, something upset him. Um, so I could not rest on my laurels. But he was really, he was on the aids. He was like, "How much power would you like?" I'm really soft. I'm really listening, and and I just fell in love with him even more. And I came out. And I was crying. Jane was crying. We, we managed to kind of wipe our faces before we turned to the cameras, but we were both crying his <laughs> eyes out. And uh, I didn't care where he got placed. I, I, I literally, he gave me his little heart out there and I didn't care if we didn't medal, but then it was a phenomenal score. That's so lovely to hear. And I, I think it's really obvious for those watching what an amazing connection that you have with your horses. And I think that that must come presumably from the fact that not only have you bred them, but you do all of the riding and the training yourself, which for a grade two rider such as yourself is not that usual, is it? No, I mean, that is the difference in our sport, that the grade one, one, two, and three can have their horses warmed up. And I, I don't quite agree with that. I mean, I, I suppose there's a safety element and 
and then people say well sometimes they don't don't have the fitness to to warm the horses up but i think well that's part of to me that is part of your mm. horsemanship forming that warm-up plan in your head and and getting your horses ready but that's just my opinion it's probably very few and far between have that opinion um yeah, to me, I love to warm my horses up because, like, I was talking to non-horsey media the other day and they were asking, like, kind of inferred how many times do you think about what's happening underneath you? And I'm like, every millisecond. Every yeah. millisecond am I thinking, is that leg engaged? Is he soft? And what was what was really interesting is it, he had ear covers on for the first time. Obviously, we tried them in training just to kind of dull the sound a little bit and keep the flies away from him. Mm. And um, as a horseman... I didn't actually realize how much he relied on their ears. Um, and because he had these big bat ears that looked like a donkey in front of me, I couldn't work out if his ears were like dead forward because he was stressed and looking at something. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> or were they to the side? Yeah. They looked like they looked like wings. Or were, did he have a flat back because he was listening to me? And it, it was very weird that, that not having the horse's ears the same size and, and pos not positioning, but uh, there was an exaggerated positioning because he had ear covers on. You couldn't, I couldn't read his ear, ear language, but it would, I thought, I thought that was quite strange, actually. That's so interesting. And you spoke when you were out there, um, sort of in regards to the fact that he is so sort of sensitive and reactive yeah. to the atmosphere. And of course, he isn't the only one. Um, you did, you did talk about how, you know, you do feel quite strongly about power riders having more of a chance to perform at some of the bigger events in the UK, don't you? Yeah, I did mention that because uh, to go from the normal, normal dressage audience. To I know that there was not out, not a lot out there, but in, in Paris there'll be ten to twenty thousand yeah. people, and for the horses that aren't used to, even if they're not sensitive, if they're not used to that environment, it can be it can become a mass become a massive shock for them. Yeah, if the big venues can um, um, invite us, even if it was for twenty minute, half an hour display, we we don't um, expect them to allow us to compete. Although that would be lovely. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I've done your horse live, and that's been very good. But like, yeah, the likes of Olympia have never never invited us there, and Horse of the Year show to do to do anything. So come on, organisers, help! I mean, on on that note, for the for the benefit of those listening who you know might not have followed Paradressage very much, just tell tell us a little bit about your disability and how it does affect your riding. Yeah, so um, Grade One is the most severe category, and and that's like like Sophie Christensen, and most of your body is affected by disability, and it goes all the way up to Grade Five, which is the least disabled, which is Sophie Wells. That can be um, like a fused limb. It can be uh, some digits missing off your fingers or your toes or a combination of those. And I'm a grade two rider. Mm. So I'm only allowed to walk and trot in power, which I disagree with. I also disagree with the fact that you're stuck in that grade now. Years ago, you used to be able to campaign above your grade. And I have spoken to the FBI whilst I was out there and they are looking into the classification system anyway. So I said, well, I'll give you that opportunity, but then I will be get clashing horns with you. And um, because I don't, you in British dressage don't limit us power riders to what we can do. And I don't, my, my head is, why should I be re re restricted within power mm. dressage to what I can do and train and show? But my disability is called arthrogryphosis multiplex congenita. And basically what that means is that when I was in my mum's womb, the muscle fibres, let's say an able-bodied person's muscle fibres are like an elastic band, and the muscle fibres on my limbs grew like string. So they, they themselves never grew correctly. And I can't do things, simple things like wipe my face with a cloth without it being wedged on something, can't get a uh, fork to my hand without being like wedged, keeping my hand on the table and going down to it or, or being wedged on my crutch. But I can ride a horse because I'm really symmetrical <laughs> and I've got a great seat feel and shoulders that, that are pretty, pretty strong. Um, so it le leaves me now that I walk with full full length armpit crutches and mm. my legs are totally encased from my heels um, to uh, to my hips. So I can work up to a, a little bit of a kick, but I more push my knee into the saddle so my heel comes out and then allow it to fall fall back in again. But I train very much with my my voice and being proactive. Yeah. I give a voice aid. Um, this 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 podcast, I've I've kind of told you a lot that I disagree with, but I disagree <laughs> with that we can't use our voice in the arena. And I can talk to my horses in power, and I have a dispensation to use my voice in able bodied. Um, but I think everybody should be able to. We all click, talk to them, tell them we love them, pat them, and 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 
when we're in training and when we're hacking out down the road, but you're not allowed to in the arena. I find that very strange. And if you take dressage back to, it was a war horse and it was about manoeuvrability going into battle. I am yeah, sure them. Yeah. So, I am sure them soldiers spoke to their horses. <laughs> But when when you were out in Tokyo, you 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 know you did speak out and offer some really powerful messages about love, about acceptance. Um, just tell me about your feelings towards the Paralympic movement, the impact it's had in 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 driving change and promoting acceptance in all areas, really. Well, very interestingly, that was not my uh, aim. I didn't have a plan to do that, but I did all the horsey interviews, and then there was this Japanese man that started interviewing me and and it was him that actually said lee um it's great that you are an inspiration for people with different sexualities and 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 disabilities he says um unfortunately our country isn't very forward thinking and, and and gay people aren't accepted in society in tokyo so could you send a message out to them and the look on his face was kind of like please help um okay it was so sad and i was like well even though i'm a horseman and i think i'm pretty pretty normal and just get on with life then when someone asks for help and just happened to be on the world stage with all the media listening (laughs) i just i just told them how i thought that it's crazy in this day and age that people aren't accepted for who they are and obviously the paralympic sport blast that message out that we only want acceptance and opportunities the same as everybody else and if you're given acceptance and opportunities then look what you can do in sport and i think the games themselves were just people screaming at the tv wanting your nation to win whether they've got a disability or whether they haven't we just get very competitive and very (laughs) very patriotic don't we That yeah and you stop seeing disability so i just i just answered his question and um and I suppose in hindsight, used my position to, to just to encourage other governments and countries just to embrace love, really, and, 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 and just accept people as they are, because it's just pathetic that we have so much ignorance and, and hatred sometimes towards disabled people and, and never yeah. mind all of, all, all of the different forms of sexuality. Absolutely. And I mean, I think obviously the, the Paralympic movement is so powerful for, for doing that, but it's something yeah. that needs to continue between the Paralympics. It's not just something that can be the case at once every four years that people start talking about this or every yeah, five definitely. years in this case. The British media really helped with that in the run up to London. It was mm. the first time in my life that I'd heard all the media going uh, Olympics and Paralympics or Paralympics mm. and Olympics up to London. It was always Olympics, Olympics, Olympics. Oh, oh, we, we best mention the Paralympics. Or, oh, oh, we don't even mention the Paralympics. It's just right. Olympics. And I think that got into the psyche of the British public at first that actually the Paralympics are taken seriously and they do yeah. have it. And separate to the sport, there's a massive message there of uh, what can be done versus what can't be done. And uh, we've all heard the sort of it's about ability, not disability message. And and it's sort of it's it's keeping the conversation going, isn't it? And, and translating that into real change. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And of course, looking ahead to to Paris in, in only three years, it seems to be suddenly very, uh, very soon. Um, you mentioned earlier about some of your younger horses. Tell us about your your youngsters that you've got coming up and, and you know, what's next for, for you in the in the journey towards the next Paralympic Games? Well, ever since Blue Circle Boy, everyone's like, Lee, Blue Circle Boy was so unique. He was a done horse. He was 17-2 with four white socks, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And you, you ride bay and black horses now, which you said you never would do. Because, <laughs> and I've always liked like, Appaloosas and the dilution. So I acquired um, a few spot Appaloosa as a foal uh, for Marty Patterson from Scotland. Uh, and, and when he... Uh, become a young man I just left him in the field with my broodmare and we produced Albert who's a leopard spot um, Appaloosa so which is the full kind of Dalmatian looking and then we left him in the field again and we produced Galaxy who came out a blanket spot so she was a bay with a big white bum with with bay spots on she's now varnished out so she looks she's you can tell she's different but she's more like a leopard looking spot Okay. She's as much as she's two years old now. Albert is three years old now, and then we did the same scenario, and um, we produced who is now a yearling called Zizi, and then Andrew was castrated, and then my broodmare was sadly twenty years old, had a few different ailments, um, and so she she went to horsey heaven, unfortunately. But she's 
she she's called Sidonia and she's left a massive legacy because before I acquired her, I think she bred three or four youngsters, some that have gone advanced in this country, a graded stallion in South Africa and then oh, um, and my horses. So won't be quite ready for Paris, but uh, LA seems Los to be, Angeles, to be a bit yeah. of a, seems to be a bit of a party. Um so couldn't possibly retire through then <laughs> or then the way I'm the way I'm feeling. Oh, that's so wonderful. That's really exciting. Um, yeah. And just one more thing I did want to ask you about. You became a foster father last year. Is it, is it last year? How has that changed you as a sportsman, do you think? Turned me into an emotional wreck. He's actually stood, <laughs> just come into the kitchen now, pulling funny faces at me, trying to distract oh. me from doing this interview, Polly. So there you go. That's how naughty he is. He's called Jensen and he's 15 and uh, I'm not going to blow air up his bottom while he's here, but uh, we got on really well. He's, 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 he's great. Um, and um, yeah, everyone says, oh, that's a really nice thing you can do. Do you want to say hello, Jensen? Hello. <laughs> there Hi, you Jensen. go. He, he is real. Um, <laughs> but um, no, it just kind of completes my life and my family. I love, I love that we just get on really well. Um, I bought an ex. I bought him an Xbox for his birthday, I think it was, and thought I was missing out. And I thought we could do some bonding together, so I bought myself <laughs> one as well a, a few months later. Only to be told how rubbish I am on Xbox, and I might as well not even bother of buying the Xbox or even going on it. Stick to riding, then. Is that the message? <laughs> yeah, he has complimented me since, and then. A few weeks after he was here, I was like, do you want to sit on a horse? Like, no, I'm petrified of it. I'm going nowhere near them. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I convinced him to sit on Z. And I said, look, he is just a legend. And he is so, you won't do anything. We'll, we'll walk with you, everything. So he, he got on and uh, I was leading him from a mobility scooter up the lawn. And we went up the lawn in walk and a tiny bit of trot. We came down the lawn and by the time we got back, he got rising trot sorted. Oh my gosh, <laughs> amazing. I was like a proud dad and I turned to him and said, did you enjoy that? He went, no, my back hurts, my bits hurt and my ankle hurts. <laughs> oh, bless him. Well, Lee, thank you so much for coming on the Horse and Hound podcast today. Congratulations no again on all of your phenomenal success out in Tokyo. Um, we can't you. wait to see your, your upcoming horses and to see what's next for Breeza as well. Okay, thanks for having us as well. Cheers. So I'm here with my colleague, Catherine Austin. We are going to review the Cheddington Bicton Park Five Star, which took place last week. Catherine and I were both lucky enough to be down in Devon, checking out the only British Five Star in two years. And it was a fantastic weekend, wasn't it, Catherine? Yes, it was. I mean, I think, first of all, we were very lucky with the weather. Um, it was glorious sunshine, which was a bonus. And there were lots of spectators enjoying the aforementioned glorious sunshine and a really good competition yeah it was and i sort of i felt it was a little more in the atmosphere like le moulin or poe in some ways in the british five stars because it was a smaller field and although lots of spectators nothing like as many as you would have at babington or burley but for that reason in a way it felt more relaxed there were, you know some of the days of sport were slightly shorter although having all the dressage in one day was absolutely non-stop but you know the cross country was sort of a, a half day an intense half day the show jumping didn't take very long and i just felt there was a really positive atmosphere like everyone who was there was so grateful to the organizers for laying the competition on and really wanted to be there and that made for such a happy a happy atmosphere yes i agree with you lots of happy people um and as you say the riders repeatedly said we are so grateful to andrew fell and helen west and adrian ditcham and mark phillips and everyone involved at bicton for putting for putting this on it, you say it felt more like Le Moulin or Poe I slightly felt it might feel a bit more like eventing a big event in the 80s <laughs> somehow there was an old-fashioned not not that I was doing a lot of eventing in the 80s I'd like to point out but it had an old-fashioned feel to it but not in terms of old-fashioned in any kind of critical way but perhaps a return to eventing in a slightly earlier era and before we developed the current British five stars into the sort of 
gigantic efforts that they are. Absolutely. And um, I had been down there for the four star event in June, but you hadn't, Catherine. So the first time you'd sort of seen seen the lie of the land at Bicton, so to speak, was when you went down for the preview day when you walked the course with Mary King and Mark Phillips, the designer. And then obviously we both got to see the course all dressed this week. And, you know, the course was a big talking point and definitely the terrain, wasn't it? Yes, it was. And I was very glad that I had been down to do that course walk because it isn't a venue I've I've ever been to for some reason. Um, and I didn't know it. And that's quite disconcerting going to a five star that you you don't know. We're so familiar with the big British events that that it felt strange. And I was glad that I'd got the lay of the land. Um, yeah, there had been a lot of conversation um, about what the cross country would be like beforehand. I think that the four star in June gave riders some idea of it, although Mark completely reversed the track. It's not an easy site in the terms of it's small and it's not expandable, really. And in the middle of the cross country is a hill and they have to run horses round and round the hill and up and down it, really. There's also a glorious main arena, which they used to the maximum for the cross country. And I think there were some eight jumping efforts in there in total something like that which gave spectators something brilliant to watch but ultimately the camber if you're running on the side of a hill is unavoidable no matter how hard mark phillips tried and he did try really hard and that will always influence what happens or what it looks like and who chooses to run there yeah, definitely. And on that point about the main arena, I had some uh, some family friends nearby who uh, are not as active, and uh, they love their day sitting by the arena and seeing all those seeing all those jumping efforts. So we definitely shouldn't underestimate that for spectators. But you're right; that terrain did take its toll, as we expected. And at the beginning of cross country day, it was one of those sort of slightly dicey starts where uh, you wonder if anyone's going to get round when the first two don't. David Dole was the first out and his horse really tired at the first water and sort of sat down, to be honest. He fell on the flat, I suppose, technically, but but he did just sit down. And then uh, Oliver Townend had a fall from his first horse, um, MHS King Jules, but um, Porig McCarthy was the hero of the day, coming home as the third, the third rider out with HHS Noble Call. Yes, it's such a relief. I know, you know, David and Oliver, neither of them at their first five star didn't get home and you think, oh, crikey. But Porig did a really good job. That's the best that I think I've seen him ride at the top level. Um, exciting new horse, one he's produced himself, real good jumper. I thought that Porig rode a very cool round, a very intelligent round. And yes, you know, one in the bag must have delighted Mark Phillips. Yeah, definitely. Catherine, I can't believe we've been talking for five or six minutes and we haven't mentioned our winner. So I think we should put that right <laughs> immediately. Um, because, because Gemma Tattersall came through this weekend, won her first five star title. And it was it was great to see that, wasn't it? Yes, it was. You know, Gemma is a fierce competitor. She is a winner. She has been competing at the very top level for a long time. She's an Olympian. She's been to world championships. She's finished second and third in five stars. She really deserved this. And, and she delivered it in the way that you really want to do it, which is by finishing on her dressage score. And if you add into that the fact that, you know, she not only saw the horse being born, she was there at his inception because she rode his dam. Chris Stone, who is has been a huge part of eventing in recent years, not only owns Chili Night, but also owns his mother and his famous sire, Chili Morning. And amazing for him, completely brilliant. And then what happened, Pippa? Well, just uh, just when everyone was slightly calming down and the riders were in the press conference, which was sort of in the middle of the public trade stands and some of the journalists and photographers were drifting away. And I, I was sitting in the press office um, banging out a million web stories. And suddenly on the uh, screen where they were streaming the press conference, Gemma's boyfriend proposed to her. <laughs> it was it was uh, it was hilarious and, uh, and brilliant and just a moment of 
of spontaneous joy. Um, and I can't imagine that Gemma could have been happier in that moment already. So I literally can't imagine how she didn't basically just burst. But um, <laughs> Pippa Funnel and Piggy were hugging each other and hugging Gemma and hugging Gary, Gemma's now fiance. And it was just it was just fun and 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 wonderful and um yeah i had to message Gemma this morning to check something for our report and she just said i i just can't believe anything that's happening basically yeah i bet so it's sort of too too much isn't it too much emotional overload in one weekend but it was yeah a very fitting end to what was really a brilliant event i think that it you know victim five star was a one-off um they did an incredible job i mean think that they only ran their first four star there 11 weeks ago it's crazy but it was demanding it was a good competition you know really good horses and riders and what matters at a, a five star i think is that the best horses and riders end up at the top you know it wasn't a chance result and i think that franks the event and aren't we lucky to have riders, British riders of that quality with that level of horsepower, bearing in mind that none of our gold medalist horses were there, obviously from Tokyo, none of our European championship horses were there. So that's pretty cool. Definitely. And I think even more than the fact that these were brilliant horses and riders, they were brilliant cross country horses who came through. Yeah. You know, Gemma rose from ninth after dressage, the only person to finish on her dressage score to win it. And that's refreshing. You know, sometimes we, we think the dressage has too much influence these days. And, you know, her horse did his, his you know, his, his best test and he's not an actual dressage horse. And behind him, we had Pippa Funnel and Billy Walkon and then Piggy March and Veneer Kamira, who we know is not a horse who likes the one day events, but um, really showed that she's she's still up for the big time this week. Yes. And Pippa Funnel really emphasized that she said that, you know, she was second on Billy Walkon, who is a slightly more obviously talented top level event horse. But that Chili Knight, Veneer Kamira and her own Myers Hope, who she was fifth on, they wouldn't be the stars they are if the five star level didn't exist that they they do well because they scrap it out on the cross country that they gallop and they jump and they fight and it would be incredibly sad for the sport to lose that and it was lovely that that was firmly in place this weekend Mm, and Pippa said a couple of times over the weekend that she didn't really know how she was going to feel coming into this, but she really felt all the old hunger. And if Five Star didn't exist, you know, she didn't think she'd still be in the sport. Yes. And for riders of her experience with the amount of, you know, amazing stuff she has behind her in terms of medals and victories and this, that and the other, it is what turns them on. I don't blame her for not caring about winning an OI, you know, that sort of sort of a young person's job in a way she loves producing horses to be able to aim and fire at these five stars and whatever she told herself in the build-up to it look you know she won burley in 2019 she was second and fifth here she's still got it Oh, definitely. And um, and when she's on form, she's so much fun, Catherine. I was thinking this on the way home that, um, you know, when she's always fun with other riders in those group situations, in press conferences, she's pulling their legs. She's encouraging them to uh, sort of take the mickey out of her for being an old girl. And, um, and I had the impression she was on great form all weekend. Yes, yeah, so did I. And her, her openness, her honesty, um, the interesting way she talks to us and talks about her horses and about the sport and the fact that she has the confidence to do that is really, really valuable to us and the sport. Definitely. And I think, you know, all those top riders, you know, Gemma is a rider who wears her heart on her sleeve. And, you know, when she's disappointed, when she's cross, you do know about it. And I quite like that. Um, because, you know, she's not hiding anything. Um, and when she is happy, you know, I've looked at a lot of pictures of Gemma after the show jumping and uh, on her lap of honour this morning, and her sort of spontaneous joy in this result is heartwarming to see. And, and Piggy too, you know, she's a rider who talks really openly about uh, you know, Veneer Kamira and the fact that she's not a horse who excels at a lot of different, you know, a lot of the one day events, but this is absolutely her level. And, and she was pleased with her all weekend, despite sort of having a couple of show jumps down. She just said, I don't you know, the mayor owes me nothing. She jumped the best round of her life on the most important day, referring, of course, to her badminton win a couple of years ago. And um, 
you know, it was lovely to see that she was still very pleased with her despite those couple of fences down on the last day. Yes, and Peggy, as ever, behaved with great grace because she did lose, you know, she was in the lead overnight and she lost. And sportsmen and women are obviously, you know, competitors. They want to win, that's why they do it. And they should want to win. And she did mind not winning because that's what she should do. But she behaved very well. She was genuinely, obviously delighted for Gemma, genuinely, obviously delighted with her own horse. And you go again, don't you? No, definitely. Now, Catherine, I feel that time is ticking on and we're talking a lot. I think I'm going to let you mention two more riders and I'm going to mention two more riders. So who are you going to pick? You take one and then I'll take one. I will take Roz Cantor, who delivered us a lovely performance from a mare at her first five-star, Pencost Crown Jewel. Interesting horse. Roz said that she's very suspicious of people and she looked pretty pretty hot and tight as she came down into the main arena for her dressage. But she got into the arena, relaxed, took a breath, listened to Roz utterly and delivered a, you know, a really good test. And Roz rode her with such um, elegance and maturity and confidence across country. 7.6 time faults, you know, who cares? She explained that she still sets her up a lot, that sometimes the, you know, the steering isn't immaculate. Uh, but it just it just underlined to me again what a good producer of horses Roz is, how solid her training is. There are no gaps in the way she does things. She's she's very, very impressive. Roz is actually quite inexperienced at five star, bizarrely, for our world champion. Mm. She's only had all star B and Zen Shearer at the level. And it was really impressive, like you say, to see her riding a horse, which is not the finished article um, at this level and riding with sort of such maturity to really get the best out of a horse who's, you know, on, on the way through a journey. Yeah, absolutely. And the second person, I mean, I could mention loads of people, but I would like to talk about Felicity Collins, who was tackling her first British five star um, on RSH Content OR or I'm never quite sure which way around that is, but they went through the junior and young rider championship ranks together. Felicity has totally produced this horse. They didn't go well at Poe in 2019, and that was something that really bothered Felicity, and she has had to wait a long time to make amends and to, to quote her to show people how amazing her horse is. And she kept saying off the show jump, I don't deserve him. And it's like, well, you do, because he's the result of you. She jumped a double clear. She wasn't the quickest cross country, but it was a very, uh, it was a very well judged round and it looked good. And it will have given the horse so much to build on for a more competitive attempt next time. And she show jump clear, you know, how fantastic a really good effort um and i yeah i hope i hope there's more to come and i'm pleased it's so nice when a young rider who's produced a horse themselves sort of admits that things haven't gone right comes back has another go puts it right nails it yeah and the strength of character there i wrote a feature yeah. a long time ago catherine about coming to your second five star and it was very much about that it was about people who you know we talk a lot about first five star but it's harder mm. to come to your second one when the first one's gone wrong than it is to go to your first one and um, so yeah good for felicity right i'm gonna name my two people swiftly before we run out of time and um, i'm gonna take richard jones who was sixth on alfie's clover he is a rider who's had some good results with this horse in the past but also sort of had some um, some flop outs to be honest so it was good to see that nice great horse back at his best and I know Richard was a bit disappointed that he didn't go faster at the start of the cross country and get a bit closer to the time but he went very well for sixth and only had one show jump down which was good there weren't a lot of clears on the final day anything to add on Richard Catherine no he's always interesting to talk to about his horse and you know and hand courses he's so incredibly laid back um, it's sort of extraordinary but yeah nice horse good job I think probably a better performance than Richard probably gives himself credit for. Yep, agreed. And the other person I am going to mention is Tim Price with Ringwood Skyboy. Aussie, as he's known, was the oldest horse in the competition, 18 years old, looked as full of enthusiasm as ever, did a really good test, scored 26.7 
to be right up there after that first phase in fifth. And he was one of the horses who had 11 penalties on the cross country for breaking a frangible pin. I think it's something we're going to be talking about a lot in the sport over the next few months. And um, there were certainly growing calls among riders over the Bicton weekend for the FEI perhaps to look at those automatic penalties for for breaking pins. And that's something I've and Catherine have both written a little more about for this week's magazine. But, um, you know, aside from that, he went very well cross country. He had 6.4 time. He did lose a shoe. So Tim had to set him up a little more than he would have done otherwise. But he finished ninth. And, you know, you always wonder when a horse finishes in the top 10 and it's 18 years old whether there's going to be a retirement announcement on the last day but I think Tim just said you know the horses know when it's they tell you when it's the right time and at the moment he feels great he'll have a holiday and they'll see how he feels yeah it's so tough isn't it but you know you've got a legend of a horse like that who was full of running all the way through and certainly didn't look old and tired um in the show jumping he had two down probably because he was too exuberant it's a tough call and all you can do in Tim's position is hope that you make it at the right time. But I'd love to see him again, you know, at another big event. Let's hope we do. He's a he's a hero of a horse. He is. And that was his 18th five-star run, um, which is just incredible. There are lots of riders in that field who wouldn't have had anything like that many runs. Nowhere near. Yeah. And Tim's 50th five-star run, was that right? Well, Equa Rating said his 50th since 2008, and it's probably his 50th in total. I'm not 100% sure how accurate the FEI database is before that, but let's, let's call it 50. Well, let's say Tim has done many five stars and Ringwood Skyboy's done many too. Well done <laughs> yeah. to both of them. We're, we're, we're hot on accuracy today, Catherine. Well, yep. we're going to wrap up because you have managed to file, I think, all your Bicton copy to me now. <laughs> we're recording so. on we're recording on this on Monday, listeners, which is Horse and Hand Press Day. So we've taken a few minutes out to record, but I have to go back and finish choosing the pictures, pushing all the pages through to our art department and then proofreading them. So uh, it's a bit of a crazy day for us. But thank you so much for joining me today, Catherine. Catherine and all over the weekend. It's been a lot of fun. Well, I'm here now with one of our news team, Becky Murray. It's an exclusive club again this week, Becky, as last week. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Um, can't believe we're into September. It dawned on me the other day, I have lots of horse rugs to get cleaned. So I haven't got many chores done over summer. <laughs> it's hit me. <laughs> what have you been up to? Well, it's crazy warm, actually, isn't it? Just talking about rugs. My mum's uh, looking at clipping Alfie this week because he's getting very sweaty. So Gosh, I know. Fun jobs ahead. Yeah, definitely. Well, I've been at Bicton. I've just been chatting about that with Catherine. So yeah, had a great week. But the other big event, this week was the show jumping Europeans and our colleague Eleanor Jones was out there reporting but you were supporting her from home Becky on the final team day and also the individual final day writing lots of stories for our website so I'm hoping that uh, as Eleanor is uh, traveling back or resting after that Europeans you can fill us in quickly on what happened there in Germany. First of all let's talk about the British team performance it was a really young team can you remind us who were the British riders out there? We had Will Whitaker with Gold Tour, um, Joe Stockdale with Equine America, Cacharel, Emily Moffat with Winning Good, and Georgia Team was there with Z7 Ascot. Okay, and they made it through to that final team day last Friday, finishing ninth. And I think in the course of writing those stories for our website, you listened to some of the interviews that Eleanor did with those British team riders. What was the sort of overall feeling in the camp? There were some mixed feelings actually. They all had some unlucky fences at some points and naturally there was a little bit of disappointment but they did great. Like you say, you know, as a young squad, Emily jumped a stunning clear in the final team round and they all said they learned a lot from the experience and these are riders we're hopefully going to see at, you know, many more future championships. Yeah, definitely. As, as I say, it was very much a young team, sort of post-Olympics. They sent a different team to the Europeans and um, hopefully, as you say, they will have learned a lot from that experience. And at the sharp end, Switzerland took the team gold, Germany in silver, Belgium in bronze. What did, um, did, did you listen to some of the Swiss, the Swiss rider interviews? What did they say? 
I mean, naturally, they were delighted. Um, winning that team medal must always feel pretty special. Steve Gerda had gone in with a fence in hand and he did need it. And, you know, he's touched on the atmosphere being great. And Martin Fuchs was especially happy with his uh, gelding, who is only nine years old, Leonid Jai, and hadn't done a championship before. So that was brilliant for them. Yeah, and I think Switzerland have had quite a tough year and, and those riders, you know, obviously Martin's top horse Clooney has been injured probably the end of his career just in the last couple of weeks post Tokyo and Steve Gerdat didn't have a great time out in Tokyo. I remember speaking to him after his very first round and he was really disappointed when he had that fence down that meant he didn't get into the individual final. So this felt like a bit of a vindication for Switzerland, I think. Definitely, it was great for them. And then on to the individual final day. Tell us a bit about how that final showdown unfolded well 24 riders came forward emily was qualified for that final individual round but she decided to save winning good for another day we did have two irish riders in the final owen mcmahon and daniel coyle which was brilliant they finished in eighth and tenth place and it was an action-packed final um horses and riders were really tested to that final and and there was not many clear rounds a combination fence caused a lot of problems but it was german rider andre tm who won gold on dsp shakaria and martin took silver and peder fredriksen who's just been having a fantastic year and um, he took bronze with catch me not s Wow. Okay. Yeah. So two riders that we know a lot about and see a lot at championships in Marcus and Pedder, but having to give way to Andre TM, the German rider who I don't know so much about, but have enjoyed reading about this week. And um, I'm sure everyone will look forward to hearing more about him in the magazine report this week too. Thank you, Becky. We will be speaking to the best British team member from those championships, Emily Moffat, on next week's podcast. So more on the Europeans then. But for now, Becky, you're going to give us a very quick rundown, I think, on another story you've covered this week. It's about a scientific study. Who did this study? What was it all about? This study was done by Scotland's Rural College and it aimed to look at how lockdown affected the management and welfare of horses and ponies prone to laminitis and obesity. So they were looking at perhaps when people weren't able to visit yards as much, where yards had to put in a time schedule, or where people weren't riding as much. So pe- these horses and ponies weren't getting that exercise. Yeah, so I can see that would be a really tricky one with the fact that a lot of people, you know, there was some lack of clarity around guidelines in terms of whether people could go to yards and care for horses, whether people could ride for horses. You know, it was a really difficult period if you think back to the beginning of that first lockdown. And I could see that for horses that really need that regular routine of, of exercise and, and diet and being kept in rather than maybe going out a lot, that would have been a particularly tricky time. Were those some of the issues that were highlighted, Becky? Exactly. And as you know, the researchers felt that they found that people felt government guidelines and guidance were not attuned to the needs of these sort of individual horses and ponies with laminitis. And I think they were just finding themselves a bit stuck between, you know, they're trying to stick to these rules, but they're also concerned about their horse's welfare. Yeah, a really tricky one, I can see. And I think you spoke to Roly Hours at World Horse Welfare for the story too. What did he say? He wasn't surprised that the welfare of horses and ponies could have been compromised, but he did point out there is lots of good advice about obesity and laminitis out there already. Many of the welfare charities updated advice with regard to sort of management changes during lockdown and tried to really keep people updated as much as they could. But of course, you know, we've sort of said the, pe- the issues people faced where there were sort of restrictions or confusion around travel and yard access. It really has been just a tricky balance for owners. And Rowley said, we just need to learn lessons from the pandemic and really be as prepared as we can and have plans in place for our horses. Mm, I think that first lockdown was something totally unexpected and new for all of us. And maybe, uh, well, hopefully we won't go back into lockdown, but at least we all have some idea what it's like now. Thank you, Becky. Great to get that insight on the study and also a quick catch up on the Jumping Europeans from you. Thanks very much. So now we're going over to Katie Bleakman, an online fitness coach and personal trainer specialising in equestrian athletes. Katie has evented to a high level, winning Team Silver at the Eventing Pony European Championships. And now riders all over the world can look at her online coaching programme, Event Rider Fitness. Over to you, Katie. 
So today we're going to talk about the different disciplines and how you need to be training to get yourself fit for your specific discipline. Equally, we're going to be talking about functional training and functional training is one of the big buzzwords that are thrown about in fitness. So you've probably all been to a gym where it's a functional workout or it's a functional gym and you probably have literally no idea what that means. You're thinking, what on earth is this functional thing? So basically, functional training is making sure that what you do in the four walls of the gym or at home in your session then relates to either improving your quality of life or to your specific sport. So here we're talking about training in a functional manner, so using the same movement patterns and training the same muscles that you are then going to use when you are riding. Equally, it's important to make sure that your training is functional to your life, because like I've mentioned before, we're training for you to improve your general quality of life and health, so making sure that you are training functionally. For example, if you're a mum and you're spending a lot of time picking up your baby from the floor, you want to make sure that you are strong in your posterior chain, you're strong in your hip hinge patterns so that you can pick up your child or heavy things from the ground, or equally you can pick out feet without struggling with back pain. So obviously every discipline has a different demand and just going through the kind of main disciplines. So you've got obviously dressage and you're continually working at this steady state um, below anaerobic threshold capacity. So this is your kind of low steady state, moderate endurance capacity. And you wanna be focusing on low intensity strength work, including lots of isometric movements. So this is where you're holding positions like planks or holding squats, maybe sitting against the wall and holding a squat position so that you are training the muscles to be able to hold these static positions. If you are a show jumper, or equally for those of you that might play a bit of polo or polo cross, you're working intermittently above and below these thresholds. So it's important that you're working both of these energy systems in your training and you're including um, isoballistic movements, where for instance, you are doing a squat and then you add in a squat jump, or you are doing a plank and then you add in some taps and you've got some um, plyometrics or jumping movements going on alongside it. Any discipline that involves movement and jumping, you want to focus on having this activity within your training. So where you're holding positions and then you're creating like really explosive, really powerful movements, that's really, really important to do so. And if you think of your seat when you're riding, you're always holding a position, but there's always some movement. Like you are never just going to be sat there completely statically. And again, your eventing would be very similar to your show jumping and polo demands, but obviously you're working for a longer period of time. So the demand on your cardiovascular system is extended. And this is again, when the endurance side of things comes in, but you wanna be able to be working both at your threshold capacity or above that. So um, if you come into a combination, your heart rate's obviously gonna elevate and then you're working your anaerobic system a bit. So you need to make sure that you're training yourself to be able to offset and handle this fatigue. So doing something like a little strength circuit with some cardio interference and it would be a really great way to train yourself for this. So maybe doing um, 12 reps of goblet squats, going into straight away 40 seconds of battle ropes, just long bits of ropes that you find on a farm and you're taking them up and down, hitting the ground with them as hard as you can. So battle rate waves, holding a squat position, that will really elevate the heart rate. Get your core working, get both your muscular and your aerobic system working. You jump straight back in onto your squats. You've got to keep good form, handle that fatigue, and understand how to train yourself without letting form fatigue or losing um, performance. So it's really important to kind of think about how you're training. And again, that's functional. If you think about doing something like the squats with the battle ropes, that's the same as when you're going cross country. You are doing something um, relatively manageable and then you're going into a really high heart rate demand and a really highly demanding intense exercise. So you wanna make sure that you have the ability to do that and you train as such in the gym. Equally, a thing that I like to do is practice a little bit of brain training when you're fatigued. So a great one for a client that I had um, who will actually be going to Tokyo is that he always forgets his dressage test. So one thing that we like to do um, when pre-COVID we're working in the gym together is do a little finisher. So something like 40 seconds of plank taps, 20 seconds rest into 40 seconds on a cardio machine and then maybe into like 40 seconds of pushing a sled. Whilst he did that, obviously not in the rest time, but whilst he was working, he'd tell me his dressage test and having that ability to be able to offset that fatigue physically, but keep your cognitive and your brain functioning is really, really important. Small things as well, like interference training. So if you were to do like a plank hold and I came behind you and I was like trying to physically tip your hips or slightly move you or adding a bow swing can also be really great. 
When I say a BOSU, what I actually mean is basically an upside down wobbly ball. So it's a stability training aid and you'll have one side of it that's flat and the other side of it is like soft and squishy and you can turn it upside down. And on that, you could do something like a single leg hold and it would challenge your um, strength, but equally your core strength and your balance. Um, but obviously you need to make sure that you have the strength there, first of all, to be able to hold the position and the exercise safely before you go in adding in any other tools like BOSUs. They're great, they have their place, but you wanna make sure that you have the physical strength and also the knowledge before you start adding in these movements. So making sure that what you do is relatable to your riding is the key to functional training and also making sure it's time effective. The majority of us that have anything to do with horses are time short. So it's really, really important that what you do in the gym and in your sessions is fun, it's enjoyable, it challenges you, but you see that relatability between what you do in the gym and um, your work on the horse. Big focus on posterior chain strength is the absolute key and um, making sure that you are doing some form of balance and proprioception training. So proprioception would be something like standing on one leg with your eyes closed. That will help to build that mind-muscle connection and improve your balance. Um, but when we're talking about riding functionally and training, you want to focus on building your strength first in your lower body, your core. Um, this will be far more beneficial. Then in time, you can add in more of your accessory movements like your BOSUs or your um, planks with extra movement. But obviously, that comes at a point once you have your bases and the basics nailed down really well. So hopefully that helps you to understand what functional training actually is and have some ideas on the types of energy systems and strength you want to be focusing on for your discipline. So if you want any more information on any of the topics that we've discussed today or on my coaching, then please add yourself into my Facebook group. If you search KKB Fit, there's loads more information on all of the topics we've discussed today. And you can add yourself into the group to join all of my other riders who are working to better their fitness to help their riding. Thank you, Katie, and thank you for all your brilliant advice on the podcast over the past seven weeks. Next week, we'll be introducing a new expert, equestrian psychology coach, Charlie Unwin, who will kick off his mini-series by talking about managing your inner game. I'm really looking forward to hearing from Charlie. I'll also be talking to Emily Moffat about her British team debut at the Jumping Europeans, and we'll review all the week's news, which will, of course, include the European Dressage Championships, which are taking place this week. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, please do rate, review and share it in your app to help us spread the word. Talk to you next week. The Horse and Hound podcast is a Media Cage production.